Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Kate Flannery is the author of Striptease, a memoir of millennial Los Angeles. And if you're interested in seeing her in the flesh or live or whatever you want to call it. She was just at Zibby's Bookshop and you can check out the live stream of the event I did with her there. Kate Flannery was born and raised in Northeastern Pennsylvania. She holds a BA in creative writing from Bryn Mawr College and currently works for the Emmy Award winning RuPaul's Drag Race. She is the lead singer and front woman for LA's premier Little Richard tribute band called Big Dick. Striptease is her first book. And I had to read that bio out loud in the bookstore and was equally mortified doing so. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Striptease, a memoir of millennial Los Angeles. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I literally have been like toting this book around with me for a long time because all I wanted to do was read it. Like it 
it came, it went in the pile where I had to read it. You know what I mean? But ever since I saw the cover and read what it was about, and I love LA so much and have driven by that American apparel store so many times until it was gone. Anyway, I couldn't wait to read it. And it was so interesting and so good. So thank you for writing it. I feel like I went on the whole journey with you of like your career and all of that. So it was great. So much. Thank you. I really, really appreciate that. It's it's a love letter to Los Angeles for sure, but I really love people connecting with it is such an unexpected surprise. I mean, I'd hoped they would, but I didn't realize how gratifying it would be to have people like, this really spoke to me, or I understood this story, or I was there, I saw some of it myself, or I know that store. That's yeah. so exciting. I also think this whole genre of kind of coming of age through your career books is something... I find just so fascinating and I'm so excited. So instead of just like, I traveled the world or something, like we get to dive in and watch how you grow up in the context of of your job, which of course is like a much bigger commentary on society and da, da, da. So I just love it. It's it's like just such a experiential thing where you feel like you not only get your emotions, but your job. I don't know, I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was, you know... I think these books are popular because, you know, the office is the thing of the past. You know, we're onto startup culture. It's a wild, weird world with full of risk-taking and bad behavior and breaking of the rules. And it makes such a good read. Yeah. <laughs> like Uncanny Valley, all, you know, all of those books. Yeah. They're great. So maybe you should describe the book for listeners since I just dove right into the things I liked. <laughs> My book is called Striptease, a memoir of millennial Los Angeles. And um, it's about my time working for a very controversial and provocative fashion company called American Apparel in the mid 2000s. So we're talking a decade before Me Too, which really doesn't seem that long ago, but it may as well have been, you know, a totally different century because it was just a very different time. The company itself, American Apparel, operated under a very progressive veil. Everything was made in the USA. It, it felt good to work there. It, it was seemingly run by women. And I was fresh out of a seven sister, you know, a total feminist warrior out of Bryn Mawr College. And, you know, nobody was going to get me. We were in a post-feminism world. You know, Gloria Steinem fixed all that stuff. So when I saw this risque, wild company that was fighting the good fight, it was so compelling to me. And um, that time period, that turn of the millennium was just a very different time because, you know, we were post 9-11, we were post the AIDS epidemic. We were living in this, you know, celebrity sex tape, playboy spread, sort of you know, like the girls had gone wild. And um, young women really had to toe the line between sexual empowerment and sexual exploitation. And that's sort of the story of striptease, that, that line. So yeah, that's my book. <laughs> well, you paint this very unsavory picture of, and you pronounce it dove or dove? Dove. Like the bird. Dove like the bird. Probably wrote that in the book and I forgot. But anyway, dove. And his essentially his affairs with many of the workers and maybe not affairs, but relationships. And that's, it was some accepted thing. And you, in the book, you gradually see how like all these things you're like, well, okay, maybe that's a little weird, but 
whatever. I guess this is how it's supposed to be. And I guess this is how these, it's not that big a deal to watch people having sex in the dressing room. And like, you know, like you, you could see rationalizing like every next step and seeing how you kind of got deeper and deeper. And then of course, contrasting that with like your opening image of like the girl in the cult and what it means to sort of be in a company cult, if you will. It's true. It was very culty in a way like we're still in the cult. A lot of the girls in the book are still with Dove Charney, like in relationships with him or have, you know, it's, I, I was very naive about that. And, and in a way, I'm still in the cult because I'm like, what's Dove going to say? You know, like, who cares what Dove, like he should be worried what I'm going to say. But it's just so easy to to slip back into those, into those roles. Um, I'm just experiencing a lot of blowback now because my friends are starting to read it and pe- people I wrote about are starting to read it. And um, those cult dynamics, man, they'll get you 20 years later. Uh, it's still sort of easy to, to sneak into. And, and Dove, you know, working for him felt good. He was charismatic as well as problematic. He was fun to be around. It was fun to work with someone with a huge vision that was changing the world and still making a profit. You know, I, I just... I thought like ethical capitalism was a thing that we were doing here. We were going to make money and everybody was going to be fairly treated. And that's just not how capitalism works. But then again, I was 24, you know, hopefully now I'd be a little smarter, but you can still have a company that treats people well and is profitable. That's not misleading, but maybe not this company. (laughs) Yes. It's a shame because he showed you can make in the USA, you can give your employees you know, not only a fair wage, but benefits and free English lessons and massages, and you can still be a billion dollar company. And, but unfortunately he just took it all down himself with his, you know, a bad behavior. Just, I mean, that's a nice way of putting it, but, um, I just wish the company could have held on and been a model for so many other companies to bring back those jobs, bring back union jobs, bring back jobs where people can make a dignified living. You know, American Apparel proved you could do it for the factory workers anyway. (laughs) Speaking of modeling, you, one of your things as you grew in the company was becoming a scout because you have this eye for new talent and all of that. And, and even modeling yourself inadvertently perhaps, but having all the women who work at American Apparel become de facto models and whatever they're doing, even if they don't want it necessarily photographed. So tell me about how that affected your perceptions of sort of self-image at the time. And if that's one of those things that stayed with you. Yeah. At that time, it was this real, again, that that turn of the millennium, that first five years, you know, there was a lot of like model worship happening, you know, like America's Next Top Model was in its early seasons. It was such a huge hit, you know, celebrity culture and paparazzi. There just seemed to be such value in harnessing that you know, I, I thought modeling would be like a feminist act. I'm getting paid, but like, really, it's just the same old game. You're just an object. Like you're not going to win that game, but I gave it a shot. I tried <laughs> and I got some great photos of myself from, you know, back in the day. So yeah. Where are they now? Oh my gosh. Well, in the book, you don't know because of the promo copy, but there is a 20 photo insert in there. No way. Oh uh, so I'm gosh. so excited. It's sort of a little surprise in the hardcover. There's you know, ads and and flyers, the Obey Your Masturbator flyer that I took down. I, yeah. I saved it. You know, I knew I was going to write this book. And so I just approached it like a, you know, an anthropologist and I saved everything. So that, those photos are going to be good. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. The, the downside of the galley, I guess. But yes, that is really exciting. Amazing. So 
you knew you were going to write this as a book. Like, tell me more about that. And like, when did you know? And how long did it take? Like, just tell me the book piece of this journey. Sure. It is. It's an interesting story. I, because I always knew I was going to write this book. I told everybody, I'm going to write a book about this. Nobody believed me. (laughs) It took a while, but really it was when I took down, the store was flyer bombed. You know, we were wheat pasted with flyers about Dove Charney. They said, obey your master Bader, a little pun. And it was, it was very early. I talk about it in the book. It's very early in my career there. And I remember, you know, we were taking these flyers off and I took one off and it was in perfect condition. It didn't get ripped. And I just thought I'm saving this. Like, I'm going to write about this. Like there's something here, you know, as, as a young writer, I've, I've was always sort of wondering like, what, you know, what is the story that I was going to tell? And I, that in that moment, I knew this was it. So I continued to, um, take notes. When I would have a particularly insane conversation with Dove, I would go right into the back of the store and flip over a flyer and write down everything he said. Just, I mean, a lot of, um, uh, almost everything that he says is verbatim because I, I wrote it down. Uh, So, oh, okay. So the whole, the whole, the whole story. So I really had to wait till the company kind of folded before I could, I did try writing a fictionalized version just, you know, I was too close to the subject matter. Like me too had to happen. All of that stuff had to happen. I work in reality television, which isn't necessarily like the most creatively gratifying field. I work in the editing department, so I'm not like writing the stories, but I just had this moment where I was like, I have to get back to myself. So I started, you know, back to what I love doing, which is writing. I started taking, you know, just community classes and I started talking to writers there and someone told me, you know, you can sell a memoir on a proposal. And I was like, oh my God. It's so, so audacious. Like you can sell a book before you write it. I, I'm going to try that. Like I'm a nerd. I can write a damn good proposal. So I I took a class on how to write a proposal. And, um, you know, it included chapter summaries. I really had my story down uh, just from thinking about it all these years and sort of writing versions of it. And um, yeah, then I... I, I sold it on that proposal and I lost my mind for two years, but I came out with the book and um, yeah, I always like to tell people that, you know, like you can sell nonfiction books on a proposal. And let me tell you, it's the only way I would have done it. I needed that deadline. Like I needed to have signed a contract. <laughs> you must finish this book. It was so helpful. <laughs> so when you, after you got the contract and you started writing, did you work closely with an editor at your publishing house or did you like, how, what was that like? I had an editor who really like understands pop culture and like really believed in it from the beginning. And my proposal was pretty strong. So I just, I I wrote a first draft and I turned it in. And then a month later, he gave me a round of notes. And that was that. I had wow. two months to do that. I turned it in on Halloween, which is like such a symbol. It was a scary day. But <laughs> it was exhilarating. And um, I'd say all in all, the process took me like a year of heavy duty writing and like six months of worrying and then another (laughs) six months of planning, like the initial proposal stuff probably took six months. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Were you also still working your day job? Oh, yeah. Time I, I'm, yeah. I, yeah, I'm still working two full-time reality jobs, sometimes overlapping. I work on RuPaul's Drag Race and I work on The Amazing Race. They're both really great shows and great jobs and very supportive, really great places to work. So yeah, I was working full-time and writing and it was crazy. And when you say you're editing now, do you mean you're editing the footage? Like you are in an editor bay and all that stuff? Or like, tell me about oh. your job now. Well, yeah, I'm I'm sort of, uh, well, it's interesting. At Amazing Race, I am uh, like a deliverables manager. It's basically like a script supervisor in post. This is probably boring, but... It's not. I'm really interested in this. <laughs> I walk down the episode and I'm like, there's an accent missing, you know, over this tap. There's a lot of subtitles in Amazing Race. They're they're yelling, they're running around. So sometimes there will be misspellings or maybe the host will be pronouncing something wrong. You know, I've caught that before. I'm just sort of the last set of eyes to make sure everything uh, is good before it heads to network, which I love doing, like correcting grammar, sign me up. Yelling, <laughs> I love that. And um, for Drag Race, uh, I... I Listen, I, I basically just transcribe drag queens all day. I, insurance, <laughs> it's a union gig. I'm listening to their sit down interviews and like looking for the good stuff, writing down everything they say, time coding, just stuff that editors need to build the show. So yeah, that's how I do it. It's great. Amazing. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so, I'm interested because now I feel like I've just been on this whole road. Like I care what happens with you and your career. <laughs> like, I really want to know what you're doing, knowing what you did. So tell me a little more about what you're going to do about people not loving, people who you write about not loving the content. Like, how are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for that? And did you ever think like it's, going to be so hard for me. I'm just not going to do it. I know you said you might, you thought about fiction, but yeah, I know. I, I thought that everyone would be fine with this. You know, I changed everybody's names. I, I changed details about where they came from, but really to this small core of people that was in this circle, you know, nearly 20 years ago, you could maybe sniff out who's who. And, um, you know, that's sort of an issue. Because one of the girls is really upset about what Dove is going to think. You're ruining my relationship with Dove, oh. which is you are barking up the wrong tree with that argument with me. You know, I thought everyone would be okay. I I, I underestimated that, and also just 
another thing I totally underestimated is that just the act of writing a memoir is like a betrayal to the people that you're writing about just because of what it is, because it's so one-sided, because the insignificant details to me that I leave out or that I don't include because they're not important to my story may be very significant details to someone else. And I'm just sort of presenting my side of the story. And, and no matter how much, you know, love I use to write about these girls who are still my friends, well, some of them up until recently, you know, that's always going to be like hurtful. And I can't, you know, it, it feels like really ruthless and it's hard for me. It's very upsetting, but I'm, I'm dealing with it. And some friends have been incredibly supportive, you know, like, man, I knew that was happening, but I didn't know, you know, I wish we were there for you more. Like, you know, it's made me closer with uh, friends too. I think that's one of those life things, you know, whether you're <laughs> writing a memoir or getting divorced or, you know, all these things, people sort of lose grief, like people surprise you, people, you never know who's going to show up for you, who's going to turn, because mostly it's a reflection on how they feel about something. It really has little to do with you personally. It's their own sort of mirror that then, you know, I mean, you know all this, but. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. One of my friends who's like talking me down every day is like, this might be therapy talk, but he said, you know, the only thing that you can control in life is how you react to things. So I can only control how I react to their reaction. Right. And yeah, it's like a big learning lesson. I was very, I, I didn't realize, um, I was very naive about a lot of things. I feel like that's my brand now. I'm naive, <laughs> at the, naive at the end of the book. I'm naive when I'm writing it. It's crazy. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. This might not even be an appropriate question, but your hair is so cool. Is that natural or did you do that as oh, a cool look thing? It's created in a lab, but I mean, it's my hair, but no. Very cool. I think one of those old Italian women with a shock and maybe I'll get there, but it's, yeah, yeah. Well, It's <laughs> super cool. So thank have, you. My friend's, my friend's stepmom has like a shock of white hair like that naturally. So. Naturally. Yeah, I want. That's what I'm going for. Okay. <laughs> so, have you written proposals for any other books? Like, what's your, what are you going to do next? Well, I am cooking up my second book now, which is another memoir, and this one has more of a true crime element, and um, it takes place in my hometown. I'm I'm here for the summer, doing a lot of research, and it's I haven't really talked about it at all. Should I like spill beans? Sure. Um, <laughs> story. Um, I'm used to sort of pitching things in TV terms. It's it's My Girl meets Paradise Lost, the documentary okay. about Memphis Three. They were three teens um, accused of murder and the town went wild in a satanic panic, rumor panic that overtook the town. So it's a satanic panic, true crime, coming of age story in a pre-internet world that I like long to be in and write about. So that sounds yeah. awesome. That sounds Thanks. great. <laughs> How much input did you have on the cover? Because this cover is just perfection. Wonderful. The publishing house is really great. They, they hold, they give you all kinds of options. And um, that one was like clearly the winner. It, I wanted it to say American Apparel without having to write American Apparel on the cover. And it's just perfect. And it's so summery and she's wearing American Apparel. It's just perfect. Thank you. I like it too. Yeah, <laughs> so great. And what types of books do you read when you're not busy writing and 
being on TV? Or do you like to read? Or are you more like a TV person? Or yeah. you know? Oh, no, I'm a reader for sure. In fact, I just recorded the audiobook and they were like, do you listen to audiobooks? And I said, no. And they went, you're a reader. You're a reader. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Well, I've been on a memoir-only diet for like two years, just reading every memoir I can get my hands on. So I really do love reading nonfiction, sort of continuing in that vein. Like I just ordered Page Boy. I'm like dying to read Page Boy. I just yes. know that's gonna be like the memoir of the summer. And what else am I excited about? I, I just went to Holt uh, to visit and they gave me like a stack of books. <laughs> I'm reading my last innocent year. I'm reading all of them all at the same time. I'm reading Diquette. I'm reading, what else did I get there? Oh, I'm just about to start Kitty Carr, which I know is going to knock my socks off. So um, yeah. Amazing. Awesome. So I know you've already given some advice, which was really useful for aspiring authors in terms of memoir proposals, but what other advice either for the writing or proposal writing or the writing itself or navigating this launch, any of it or all of it, just spill what you've learned. Oh man, I like don't even know how I'm navigating this launch because I'm just taking each day by day. And it's so, I thought I was going to love this part, but it's like kind of stressful. My main advice that I would give, because I never could have finished this book and someone gave me this advice and I was like, oh, whatever. But man, were they right? And it's so obvious, but I'm like really a lone wolf in like all aspects of my life. I, I, that's why I love writing because it's really a solitary activity. I can do it all my own and just be in control. But when I was really struggling through that first draft, a woman said to me, do you have a writing group? And I was like, oh, a writing group? No, but you know what? Maybe I should get one. And I found a wonderful group of women in New York City that we were meeting. This also was all happening during COVID. It was such a crazy time to sell a book and write a book and all that. And I met with them every week and I needed that weekly deadline and the encouragement and hearing what they were writing. It just like that weekly salon. There's no way I could have finished my book. And anybody can do that. Like all you need is one other person and you just make a commitment. It sounds so easy, but it was so hard for me to, to do. That is when I started making progress for sure. Those weekly workshops. It's all about like Gretchen Rubin has all these personality types, you know, and like, I am like you, I need, I, I like to have accountability, right? Like for some things, like some things I'm fine, but things like I will like just not work out ever again if I don't have anybody. Like like I only work out if my friend is like waiting on the tennis court or something. So I think in different areas, we have to know when we need the extra, extra yes. encouragement. And <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. I'm sorry you've been stressed. It is stressful when books come out, especially deeply personal ones. And, you know, it's kind of a wild ride and it's very uneven and un unexpected things happen. And no matter how much you prepare, you don't know what's going to happen when it comes out. And I don't know. I found myself, I wrote a memoir that came out last July and I was so emotional the month before it came out. Like I was like crying all the time. And I don't know. I was just like, because I'd been thinking about it for so long and working on it. And then it was like coming out and it was out of my control. And that was scary too. So yes. I don't know. I found myself just like in a very sort of sad place, even though I, it was the most exciting thing ever. So... Totally. It's it's also nice to be in my hometown and be with my family rather than in my apartment in LA sort of navigating all this because I mean, it's just so much easier when you have people to share everything with. So yeah, it's really tough. A lot trickier than I thought. You know, that book before and after the book deal, the first thing is like, yeah. get a therapist. I'm not yeah. joking. You're going to need one. Like a consult yes. your man. Is that right on? You just, <laughs> it's such a, you need help. It's too hard. Yeah. 
I love that book, Courtney Mom. She was on this podcast. Well, I have a bookstore in LA and you have to come to an event. I don't know if you planned your whole tour and everything, but I would love for you to come to an event there. I would love to. Yes, I know. It's in Santa Monica, right? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I would love to. West Side one. Yes. Okay, great. We'll, we'll follow up. We'll follow up after this, but, um, well, I'm really excited. It's really well-written, great story. It has like all the elements. It was just like an immersive, wonderful read. And, you know, I'm just totally like rooting for you now and feel and very invested. So, <laughs> so even though some people might not, it might be tricky for some relationships. I, I guarantee for the average reader, this is like a very po- net positive experience. It was important to tell this story. And that's the most important thing overall. Like this story needs needed to be told. Yes, 100%. Even though at times it was totally unbelievable. I'm like, are you seriously? <laughs> story like told itself. It, that's, it was sort of, I hate to say it's easy to write after all this, but I just wrote what happened, you know? Yeah, not much to it. Not much to it. Amazing. Well, Kate, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on Mom's No Time to Read Books. And thanks for Striptease. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.